Good morning. Well, since it's back to church Sunday, I thought, well, why not come back? <laughs> and it's good to be back. Actually, I was invited back, I have to admit. But it's a joy to be here and um, appreciated the worship. And indeed, what a wonderful, what a powerful name it is, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to share this morning some thoughts from two passages in Isaiah. And um, 57, Isaiah 57, verse 14 and 15, and then Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. <clears throat> and it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road or prepare the way. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. But also, I live with him or her who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. <clears throat> this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. But this is the one I esteem. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. <clears throat> Basically, we're talking about spiritual revival. And um, the second half of Isaiah is um, a unique and particular section of Scripture. It's filled with, it's a forward glance to the New Testament. It's filled with New Testament truth and um, exhortations. And this would be this foreshadowing of the fact that God lives with us, uh, looks to the New Testament, points to the New Testament, where Jesus said, <clears throat> I will come and take up residence in you, I and my Father. Then in another place, he says, the Spirit, you are used to the Spirit, you know the Spirit, but soon he will be in you. So in a real sense, God has taken up residence within us. Now, spiritual revival and renewal is centered in our relationship with Christ. Uh, whether it is an individual, whether it is a congregation, or whether it is a large movement, it's centered in, in the intimacy and the relationship we have with Christ. What are some of the things that can cool this relationship? I think we all know relationships can run hot or can run cold um, or cool and eventually run cold. And uh, these are some of the things our relationship with the Lord causes that cause that to run cool and eventually cold is the neglect of spiritual disciplines. If we don't pray and read the Bible, come to church, fellowship, serve God, um, we will eventually be going through the motions and the relationship will be secondary to these spiritual religious activities, I should say. Dissipation, we live in a time of dissipation. We're all spread out, doing too many things, 
too many days, distractions, worries of life, competing loves and priorities, um, unrecognized sin and unconfessed sin. These things can happen, they come into our life, but the, um, it's easy to, because of things like this and many more, to drift away. And when, when we drift out of our relationship with Christ, we <clears throat> um, certainly should take a good look at that. But for the, long, the long-term remedy involves cultivating a heart and a spirit, which is a place where God is pleased to dwell. Um, and we're going to look at three of those things that uh, are mentioned in these two passages. The first two in Isaiah 57, those who are humble or lowly in spirit, and those who are contrite. And then the third one is added in Isaiah 66, he who trembles at my word. If we cultivate our heart in these attitudes and behaviors and disciplines, God is pleased to dwell. And that's what God, that's what the scripture is after. Uh, the reality is, when we say God lives in us or with us, we know he does. First of all, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Second of all, as I already mentioned, he's promised to take up residence in our heart. So the issue here is not so much, is God there? Does God live in you? He lives in all of you if you're born again. But the issue is intimacy. Intimacy. It is easy. It's very possible and more common than it should be to live in a house with somebody. I live with my wife. That's good news, right? Yeah. 50 years or so. I mean, come on. But if we don't talk, we've had periods where we experience this. We don't communicate. We don't spend time together. We don't share enough of life. Um, she can feel pretty lonely. I used to travel a lot. I had to travel a lot in my ministry. I was gone um, for three, four, five days at a time for, for years. And um, it was easy for her to feel lonely because um, I'd probably come home and be all tied up in the congregational work I was doing. And um, so, you know, it seemed like we were doing fine, but we weren't. And I feel it can go that same way with the Lord. He lives in you, but uh, without the intimacy that comes with an active and dynamic relationship with Christ. And all, all I mean by that is regular time in the Word, uh, prayer, just a life full of Christ and full of love for God and His people. Um, then, then, you know, our relationship will indeed grow cold. And that's what I think um, the writer Isaiah is after here. That these are, these are attitudes which, and behaviors which, again, cultivate uh, a place in the heart where God is pleased to dwell. So he's making the contrast. He's saying, I live in a high and lofty and holy place but I also live in another place. I'm pleased to dwell in another place, which is in the heart of people like you and I, where he feels welcome, <laughs> where we have prepared 
to make him feel comfortable and welcome. It's, you could look at it as hospitality, if you wish. But God, uh, and God doesn't leave us or forsake us. He promised he never would. But we all understand, I think, that sin still separates. God doesn't abandon us. He doesn't run away. But he pulls back. We don't feel his presence anymore. It doesn't feel the same. If you've ever had an experience of backsliding, I did, where I just got <clears throat> really discouraged and disillusioned and um, got cold and realized I was in trouble. And I began to seek the Lord and it took a while to get back to that place of intimacy. My prayers felt like they were falling on the ground in front of me. Um, felt like the heavens were brass and God was not hearing me, didn't care. Of course he did, he was still with me. He never left me, but I left him. <laughs> I pulled back and he pulled back. So this um, intimacy is a, a synonym really for intimacy with God is a synonym for revival. So he says, I live in hearts that are humble and lowly and um, in hearts that esteem my word, tremble at my word, um, and I'm pleased to dwell there. <clears throat> so let's look at these three uh, uh, qualities. Humility literally means to be brought low or of low degree, and it's a word that's easier to illustrate than define, but basically it involves our attitude uh, and of remembering an attitude of remembering who God is and who we are, especially um, when we stand before him. Now, this may sound um, like you don't need to hear that, but actually we can, um, you know, it's a, it's a paradox that God is, we can be familiar with God. He's our brother. Um, he's, uh, we talk to him, and yet he is almighty God. So, <clears throat> um, we have to always remember that he is almighty God. And um, so we remember he is the creator. He is the high and lofty one. And we are the humble one before him. He is the potter. We are the clay. He is the creator. We are the created being. And when we place ourselves in um, like that, um, we, we're ready to uh, hear from God. We're, we're humbled. Uh, with the truth. We can humble ourselves <clears throat> very clearly in, test, in the scriptures. There is a reflexive tense, which just means that, humble yourselves. Jesus humbled himself. Something we can do to ourselves by adjusting our thinking, uh, adjusting um, quietly remembering as we stand before God in silence that he is indeed the potter. We are indeed the clay. And we don't argue with how he made us or what he has kind of use he might have for us. Um, that is <clears throat> one way to humble ourselves. If we don't, if we have trouble with that, God will help us. <laughs> he will humble us. He does that in a number of ways through conviction. He can do it through life circumstances. Things can come into our life that are way beyond what we can handle. And we realize how utterly dependent we are on God. Uh, so uh, 
He wants to us to be humble and stay humble. Some examples of this, well, our passages, I already mentioned um, that how he contrasts how he is high and lofty and holy, and um, we are to be contrite, and we are to be humble. But you think of the, you remember the story of Job. Um, Job became the object of a contest, if you will, between God and Satan, and um, God said, look at my servant Job. Why, he's perfect. He's wonderful. And Satan says, well, sure, um, you protect him. You build a hedge around him. You bless him. Take those away, and he'll curse you. Of course, God says, okay, but you can't kill him. You can't take his life. So we know the story. Everything begins to disappear, his family, his wealth, um, sores all over his body. But he doesn't curse God, but he begins to moan and groan and complain, and it goes on for 37 chapters of the book. But in, and really, he started out, it wasn't about purging him of sin, but it was about humbling him. It was about showing that he would be faithful. And when God speaks in Job 38, he says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? He says, where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Where were you when I set the mountains and separated the water and the land? And he went through this, this whole big, long thing. And it was simply a matter of Job forgetting who he was talking to. Because as he went on and on and complained to God, it became more like he was uh, accusing God, faulting God. And uh, God calls him out on it. <clears throat> and in verse 40. 42, chapter 42, Job says, I indeed have spoken words without knowledge. I didn't know what I was talking about. And I abhor myself and I repent. God humbled him so that he could be taught. And he says also, you know, we profit from these things. Job says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Now my eyes see you. He knew God better after all that than when he started. God had deepened the relationship, and he is indeed, he's indeed after that. The scribe and the Pharisee, you know that story in Luke 18? Um, two men go to pray. Jesus is teaching on prayer, and the Pharisee prays, and literally Jesus says, and he prays to himself. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm not like this bum over here. Um, I tithe, I'm this, I'm that, you know, I'm something else. And the tax collector cannot even lift his eyes. He looks down, beats his breast, and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, you know, the tax collector went away justified before me. I heard him. I answered his prayer. And the other one, I did not. And he says, the, um, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus, of course, is the best example of humility in the incarnation. He was God. He was very God. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh, 118, and dwelt among us. In... Um, Matthew 11, Jesus calls himself gentle and humble in heart. It's 
It's one of the reasons he was so approachable. That's why prostitutes and sinners could approach him, because there was a humility about him. And in Philippians 2, Jesus said, it says, Jesus, being in very nature God, made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant. He humbled himself. Secondly is contrition, or to be contrite. And to be contrite is actually, it means to be crushed. And the Amplified Bible puts it this way. To be contrite is to be thoroughly penitent for sin or for our sins. Or to be bruised with sorrow for our sin. Now this may sound a little negative, and and maybe it is, but it's really not. Um, We need at times, not all the time, we don't walk around in this place. But there needs to be moments when we are indeed bruised with sorrow for our sin. Um, Repentance, it's really a part of repentance. It can be shallow or it can be deep. Um, At 18, I prayed a sinner's prayer. It was sincere in the prayer. It was hitchhiking around the country. Went into a um, church in Berkeley and, and uh, Telegraph Ave. And, and uh, two men were out front. And we said, is the pastor around? We were looking for a place to stay and some food. And they said, um, I don't know if I told you this story, forgive me. But maybe since February you won't remember it anyway. So I'll tell you again. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, come on downstairs. We've been waiting for you. Here it was a campus crusade Christ for Christ prayer meeting. And God had spoken prophetically and said, two of you, go upstairs and wait, because there's going to be two young hobos coming down the street, and I have my hand on their life. Um, So we went downstairs. They shared the gospel. They fed us. (laughs) And we wound up with a place to stay. And I prayed sincerely, but no repentance or very shallow. They never told me, and it's not faulting, but um, it was a pretty unique event, and the presence of God was thick. And um, they um, just, I didn't get the idea of repentance, of exchanging my life for God's life. So I got up, and um, we stay, I stayed a few days. I came back. My friend, Hal, eventually ended up marrying one of the girls in that room and got very active in a church out there. And um, it was a beautiful thing. So, but four years later, I was in a different situation. I was a broken man, totally broken. I experienced great disappointment, great failure, and was despairing of life. So I went back out there to California to see how, and um, God met me in a special and a personal way in a room alone and felt his arms of love around me, and I, I just broke with repentance. I was crushed with the reality of my rebellion and my sin. Um, that was deep repentance, and it changed me. You know, the object of repentance is change, not just feeling bad for sin. We're supposed to change. We're supposed to live different. And the first time I wasn't present. Second time, 
indeed it was. Second Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Not just salvation, your first encounter with God, your salvation from sin, but deliverance. It leads to deliverance. Uh, Jesus, Isaiah 53.4, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Jesus hung on the cross and the, the sin and the penalty for sin was placed upon him and he crushed him. He crushed his spirit and he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Um, it was utter despair, utter separation somehow, mysteriously in the Trinity. God, Jesus the man cried out, he was crushed. He was contrite uh, and thoroughly penitent for, for our sin. And I would say that <clears throat> there are times, two things I would say. Number one, you might think, well, uh, I'm not doing really bad things anymore. Okay, that's good. <laughs> but um, there still should be some sorrow for how do, how do you break those besetting sins? How do you break that habit of not reading the scriptures? How do you break that habit? Maybe it's lust, maybe it's neglect, maybe it's all kinds of possible things. And you know what I mean, I imagine you do. Things that um, you keep slipping up on, you keep going back. There should be a point where, where you feel a godly sorrow and it's your own human nature should be crushing to a degree. It should, there's a contriteness that should set in because that will facilitate the change you're looking for. At least it did for me. It did for me and I suggest if, if you're in the situation and you know what a besetting sin is, um, let it get to that place. And the other thing is I would say about this, I don't know how we, I remember going to the Holocaust Museum in, in Washington and then just seeing film of the Rwandan butchery that went on and where they were Hutus and the, um, the other group was killing each other. They didn't have guns, so they were using um, uh, machetes. You know, and I just remember being crushed with man's inhumanity to man. Uh, and there's times when it's very appropriate to feel that because you realize what the world needs, what does it need? It needs Jesus. It needs Jesus to come back. We can't get this thing right. We can't stop warring each other. We have war in our heart. Killing each other, being cruel, happens on a small scale and a large scale. I know maybe you don't think about those things much, but the fact is the world is um, a fallen world. It's a fallen world, and we need a savior. We need Jesus to come back and straighten it out. And just imagine God looking down and being grieved, so grieved. We're destroying the planet. <laughs> We're destroying the livability of the planet. Maybe you don't think that, but sure is getting uncomfortable out there, depending on where you live. So there, this idea of being uh, crushed for sin uh, can, be, and can be personal, but also it can be, take a good look at the world. And um, I believe you can feel 
what God feels and it's compassion and brokenness for a world that's broken and that needs him to come back. Lastly, what does it mean to tremble at God's word? What does that look like? Well, basically, what it says, I mean, it involves a revering and an honoring of God's word and the readiness to obey. We sometimes really do trivialize the scriptures, trivialize what it is. It is self-revelation from God. If God didn't give us the Bible, we wouldn't know anything about him, or we'd know very little, very little. We can learn some things from nature. We can learn some things from a few other sources, but it's the word of God that tells us who he is, what he wants, what he enjoys, what he hopes for, what he doesn't like. Um, And so we need to revere and honor the word and be ready to obey Uh, and understand that and need be, be attentive to both the logos, or the, the whole or broad word of God, God's revelation, or the rhema. In other words, from Genesis to Revelation, we need to honor that. It's all God's word. We need to understand how it flows and fits. But then there are times when God quickens a word to you, when God, something jumps out at you. I imagine you've had these experiences where you, you, you here you are today, and you hear this weird preacher come in and uh, preach this message. Maybe you, on the way to work tomorrow, you put Christian radio on and, oh my goodness, there's, that sounds like what he was talking about yesterday. (laughs) And then maybe you get a call from a friend and they say, you know, I've been reading this and thinking about this and there you go three times. See, that's, that's a quickened word. God is trying to tell you something. And we need to be attentive to those things and listen to them. I keep a, you should write them down, I believe. You should record the date and what God was saying. Um, so there, there, are, there is the broad word of God, which we should know and learn and study, continue to study all our lives. You never stop reading or studying the Bible. But, and then there are those times when God has something personal. And in a sense, it's, it's profound, the fact that the God who created the universe, who holds all things together, would actually have something personal to say to me. Uh, How is that? How can that be? Um, But it is. And um, it's demonstration of his love. It's overwhelming at times, because it'll be very deep. It'll be something, or not necessarily, but it'll be very personal, very real, very relevant part of my life. So we need to pay attention to both of those, and we need to approach the scriptures with a healthy fear. Um, This is God's word, this is God speaking. And fear meaning a reverent respect. So some of this is a little repetitive, but we need to have a reverent, fear of the Lord has gotten a bad name, and there certainly is a fear that is absent of love and, and that is not of God. But the fear of the Lord is still the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is still something we should know. It's, it's just a reverent respect for who God is and holding that um, before us. And, and really what I, I could say in summing it up is, is a love for God's word. Do you love the scriptures? Do you love God's word? Uh, it should be, it needs to be in the center of our lives, needs to be dear to us, 
important to us. We need to, don't let, all, don't let just the kids have all the fun memorizing scripture. Um, we need to memorize some scriptures too, still. You say, well, I'm not too good at memorizing anymore. Well, I, neither am I. <laughs> but you can memorize the address. John 15, 7 says um, that if we, um, uh, if God abides in us, and if his word abides in us, then we can ask what we want to the honor of the Father, and he will hear and answer that prayer. <clears throat> so, God said in Isaiah 66, 2, this is the one I esteem and honor. And in, in that verse, there are those three things mentioned. Humble, contrite, trembles at my word. And honestly, um, isn't that enough motivation to want to develop that kind of character, those kind of traits? Uh, the fact that we know God esteems anyone who thinks like this, who lives like this, who, who aspires to, to be like that. Um, this is the one I esteem, or a one I honor, or the one I look on with regard. Um, and then he says in Isaiah 55, I live in a high and lofty place, but also live with him or her who is contrite, lowly in spirit. I live there to revive the spirit. I live there to revive the heart. That's why he is in you. He loves you. And if you're anything less than revived, experiencing first love relationship with God, I just want to encourage you that um, there is more. Press on, press in, and you'll be blessed. Lord, I thank you for your word, and uh, your word is truth. Lord, sanctify us with your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please g uh, give your attention to the, some announcements that we'll show. We have an exciting opportunity to host Jason Gray, Rhett Walker, and Leanna Crawford on their Acoustic Storytime Tour. This will be held at New Promise Church September 30th at 7 p.m. Get your tickets in the lobby today. Starting September 12th through November 14th, there will be a Bible study on Ephesians on Mondays from 1 to 2.30 here at the church. Books cost $15. If you have any questions, ask Kathy Conrad. Franklin Graham will be coming to Youngstown, Ohio. If you are interested in carpooling, let us know at the sign-up table. A church in Chagrin Falls is simulcasting Priscilla Shire's Going Beyond event. If you are interested in carpooling with other ladies from our church, call the church office. The Kids Choir will meet every Wednesday from 6.15 to 6.50 before Awana at 7. And now for your NPC Missions Moment of the Week. The City Mission empowers men, women, and children in crisis to overcome their unique, complex paths to homelessness. Because no one person's needs are the same, they create individualized, comprehensive programs to assist clients in building their stabilized and independent future. Their mission to reach hearts and change lives in Cleveland has not wavered since 1910, and they will continue to provide basic needs, critical recovery resources, and practical paths to a sustainable future to all seeking help and hope here. NPC has supported the city mission for over 10 years. Save the date for our Christmas craft fair, November 26th. 
join us next Sunday after the service for a meeting to help plan the Fall Fest or go to the membership class. We have a congregational meeting scheduled for October 2nd, so get your membership applications in ASAP. This is your friendly reminder that the deadline to vote is October 11th. Voting for local issues is important. Our Fall Fest will be October 15th. This event is open to the community. We will be having a chili cook-off and lots of fun. Our teens are going to be available to help out with small house projects or yard work on September 24th or November 5th. If you or someone that you know is in need of some help, there is a sign-up form at the table in the lobby. Interested in being baptized? We are planning a baptism Sunday soon. Let us know at the welcome desk. If you are wanting someone to pray with you, the prayer team is waiting for you in the back corners of the auditorium. Lunch is on us today. Please come join us in the chapel for a potluck. Let's stand up together as we close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here this morning. I thank you for each person that has come and sat under your word. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move afresh among us, that you would just bless us with your anointing. And um, I ask for a good day, a good week for everyone present. And Lord, bless this church beyond what they could think or ask. Uh, lift them up to you. This is your church, and we pray and believe for good things. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.